but I think that we've also explored the possibility of using our technology for police misconduct reporting. Um, we've also, we also have an attorney out in the Minnesota area who actually three years ago successfully sued the police department and the police who were responsible for George Floyd's death for a very similar situation about three years ago. So even to some extent, the repeat offender concept applies. You're listening to Voices Not Victims, empowering you to share your story, eliminate shame, shatter the victim label, and lift up your voice. Thank you so much for listening along today, and welcome to the Voices Not Victims podcast. I'm your host, Katie McMahon, and the creator of Voices Not Victims. I'm so excited for you to hear this episode today. I've been looking forward to recording this episode with Ryan. This is very insightful and really innovative work that we're going to share today that Ryan's doing with Jay Doe. Ryan Sosha is the founder and CEO of Jay Doe and is an entrepreneur who's passionate about building technology for social good. Before studying computer science with bioinformatics, specialization in neuroscience at the University of California, San Diego. He attended Sidwell Friends School in Washington, D.C. and had a history building apps. Jay Doe is the world's first truly anonymous end-to-end encrypted reporting platform for survivors of sexual assault, rape, and harassment. Jay Doe connects mutual victims of repeat offenders directly to world-class personal injury attorneys in their area. JDO generates a tremendous amount of emotional and practical strength for survivors. I really enjoyed this conversation with Ryan. I really wish this app was around when my assault first happened, and it's really changing the game to empower survivors to have power in their cases. It's really giving them an opportunity to report where they're in the driver's seat and they get to decide what happens. Ryan has also worked as a special projects manager for various high-tech venture-backed entities, including that which built the app for MGM Resorts and hundreds of their casinos and restaurants in Las Vegas. Ryan is experienced with business development and investor relations and has raised $2 million for new venture capital funds last year. His interests include the intersection of business, law, and computer science, as well as helping various budding entrepreneurs across the 1517 Fund and NextGen Summit communities. In his free time, he likes to sail, programmatically explore new investment opportunities, and speak with new entrepreneurs who are changing the world. I hope you find some valuable information in today's episode. This is something that I think is going to continue to do groundbreaking work in this field, and it gives a lot of hope for the future. So with that said, let's get into the episode. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really excited to talk about your app, JDO. And I wanted to kind of walk back in how JDO developed, what kind of evolving has happened along the way. 
Yeah, it's a pleasure to be on this podcast. Thank you for having me. Really, Jado started started back in 2012, essentially. I was going to my senior year of high school. I'm at Sidwell Friends in Washington, D.C. And I went back to Connecticut to work in a family friend's law firm dealing with these types of cases. Over the course of about a two-month internship, I learned from A to Z how to deal with these types of claims um, and helped a woman in her 40s basically pursue civil litigation against her parents for childhood abuse. So I really got a sense of like, you know, what is going on behind closed doors in some of these situations, as well as the legal grounds on which individuals have to pursue action. After about the two month long internship, a close friend of mine actually confided in me with an experience he had, you know, earlier that day at a cross fitness gym in Connecticut, where he was going to work out, you know, after the workout, his trainer was stretching him out and started molesting him. Um, So this is a rising D1 athlete, linebacker type guy. And he totally just broke down out of the blue. And, you know, I I basically offered all the help that I could. I explained, you know, the background that I gained from that internship. And, you know, now that we were no longer in this community, I really encouraged him to, you know, to, to do something about this in the context of like, we're no longer here. And this person could easily be doing this to others. So, you know, if, if we do anything, you know, I'm here to support you. And, you know, the statistics say that, doing something is, is the right thing to do based on, you know, repeat offenders and, and the high likelihood of that. So essentially within 24 hours of my friend speaking of about what happened to him, we were at a graduation party later that night. Uh, my friends back in Connecticut were a year ahead of me because I had repeated when I went to school in DC. And my friend basically spoke up about what happened to him uh, only to find 10 other individuals that we had all grown up with from pre-kindergarten really that had the same experience with the same guy. And from my perspective, yeah, it was was insane. From my perspective, I was able to see that transformation take place for the first time ever, where it went from tremendous shame and stigma to unanimous consent to pursue action against the perpetrator. Um, So at that point onward, I was really thinking about, you know, the value of finding connections like that. Survivors who often think that they're alone and statistically are not likely to be realizing that, hey, there are 10 other people who have the same exact experience with the same exact perpetrator. So there's just, there's a tremendous amount of emotional as well as practical strength to survivors and practical strength in the sense that, you know, law firms that take on these types of cases or someone who's trying to bring a perpetrator of this nature to justice. It's a lot easier when there's that consistency and convergence among, you know, various types of claims rather than, you know, a situation that you might not have evidence of and it becomes more of like a he said, she said type of thing. So, so yeah, fast forward to, you know, when I was in college myself, I basically realized that the advice I gave my friends was really good advice. Felt incredibly hypocritical for having not taken my own advice. So I was essentially, you know, sexually abused by one of my best friend's older brothers growing up. And I brought it up once with my friend and the response I got, you know, back in you know, roughly fifth grade was my brother would never do this to anyone. You know, I, I really just never spoke about it. And when I realized that the advice I gave my friends was good advice and I didn't take it for myself, I just really, you know, wondered a lot about why, you know, I failed to classify myself as a survivor. Like I'd been dispositioned in the law firm dealing with these types of cases, understanding the, the legal grounds on which individuals can pursue action, even applying, you know, those methodologies and, and techniques to help my friends. Um, so I felt like, you know, between that and, and studying neuroscience and you know, computer science and, and being in a position where I actually could do something about it, 
it just really hurt me to think that I had all these dispositions to come to this realization and somehow didn't. Um, so I started to question like, what, you know, is it like for people who experience much worse, you know, what, you know, does this say about the world and how it's treating survivors? Like from my perspective, the real world was genuinely failing survivors. You know, my friends, you know, stuff you read in the news, you know, my specific situation. So I really just started to double down on research and, you know, how could we build a solution to this issue and, and package it in technology such that it can help a single individual get through this type of situation, but then be scalable enough to reach millions of people to do the same thing. So really, we started with, you know, intense research and figuring out what this technology would even be based on. And, and what we found was that because these crimes are incredibly underreported, you know, one in 10 of these types of incidents are reported. Um, with anonymous reporting technology, you could actually increase that significantly. And because most perpetrators are repeat offenders who happen to be known by the survivors by name, it's a shame that, you know, without anonymous reporting technology, they are only reported one in 10 times. Because if you could increase that to something like one in three or better, you have an exponential capacity to identify repeat offenders. So really, you know, we wanted to build something that could reduce all the downsides to filing a report um, with the notion that, you know, the intersection of legal and, and understanding, you know, at our core, what the perspective of survivors is, as well as the underlying statistics. Like, we realized that, you know, anonymous reporting is not a new concept, but we could build something that was truly anonymous, was owned and controlled by each individual user allows for those connections to be made, allows for reports to be you know, filed against perpetrators who are named by name, social media, phone numbers, in a way where it neither defames perpetrators nor could even be subpoenaed from our platform. So there's just a lot of these different dynamics. And, and at my core, I just felt like if I wasn't the one to pursue this, like who else would come along and do this? I felt like I just had this really unique perspective at that point between you know the intersection of computer science and, and encryption and being a survivor myself and helping to expose a serial offender and bring him to justice and and just all these different components where I just I've always valued multidisciplinary perspectives but I felt like I really was built to to offer this to the world so I was thinking that while you were talking I mean to take something so painful and lift up from that and identify a pattern that all these survivors are holding this in in secret thinking they're alone but in reality you know they're not and then as soon as one person is able to find that connection with another it lifts up that shame do you feel like this is in a way your purpose in the world i mean i definitely feel like i'm uniquely in a position to do something about this and it's it's a much different scenario for marginalized groups in our in our communities and in our population. So if I could take my position of relative privilege and use it as a force for good, you know, especially in this context, I feel like there's nothing else you know, more important that I could be doing with my life. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely taken us a long time to get to where we are today. And we still have a long time, a long road ahead of us, you know, yeah. in, in terms of next steps and, and everything. But I certainly do feel that way. Yeah, I feel like it's incredible to have the background that you do and the training that you do and to take that and think outside the box and use something that there was a need for because it, it you know, I think we all would think that there's been a need for this. So bringing that to life um, and uh, 
allowing a space for survivors to report in a way that's less intimidating, I feel like is so much progress for seeking justice. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think it honestly never gets old to see that same type of situation play out where, you know, these people you know, don't even know each other and then come to realize that their perp is a repeat offender and just how empowering that is. And also, I think that, you know, looking at some like more prominent cases in this in this space, such as like the Weinstein case, I never underestimate how far an institution or an entity, like how much incentive there is to actually undermine litigation or undermine survivors in their pursuit of justice. And in the Weinstein situation, um, they hired a company called Black Cube, which is literally former Israeli Defense Force operatives who, you know, can can undermine litigation to the nth degree. So really what we built was something that, you know, could function even under the most oppressive regime. You know, we could put this technology in Russia and it wouldn't be able to be undermined. The tech itself is is just incredibly strong encryption and it had to be that way and is mostly why it's taken us so long to to develop and, you know, now to get out into the world. Wow. Did you know from the beginning, like, did you have an idea that it was going to need to be that strong or did it kind of evolve? Yeah, so I think I first started to learn about end-to-end encryption in high school, like during my senior year. And, you know, from that point onward, I just became very interested in this concept that, you know, privacy is a right and we all have a right to have truly private conversations that can't be accessed by others. The way we went about it, though, combining that type of encryption with something called homomorphic encryption, um, there's really no roadmap for us in terms of, you know, the latter. Like, we want the data to be anonymous, but we still Mm -hmm. need the capabilities to identify, you know, if reports are linked to repeat offenders or all these other things. So it is really interesting from my perspective because, you know, if you look at companies like WhatsApp, like, you know, we hear a lot of criticism about end-to-end encryption, you know, potentially enabling, you know, sharing of uh, child pornography or enabling terrorist communication. But at the end of the day, there's a lot of you know mechanisms that could also be implemented to mitigate those downsides to the strong and truly private communication. And you know the way that we went about designing Jado is is something that I think a lot of of these other companies will follow in our footsteps in terms of being able to you know identify things without actually having to know the data itself. Um, and, and that's really what Jado is all about. Is like we need the system to function as a typical technology platform, but we never want to be able to access the data, and we have to have it by design like that, you know, on on purpose. Wow. Yeah, I think the level of thought and planning that goes into that must be tremendous, and it's so considerate and from a place of protecting and helping survivors, and the empowerment that comes from that is amazing. Yeah, I agree. It's definitely taken a long time and we still have a lot to do in the future, but you know, I'm I'm happy with where we're at finally. That's amazing. So I'm thinking if someone's less familiar with the app, we kind of talked about how it works and the anonymous part of it, but um, I'm thinking of walking through from the point of downloading the app, how of the steps would work if someone wanted to go in and make a report. Yeah, totally. So essentially, a user can download the app for free on iOS or Android devices worldwide. Um, It's available in about 170 additional countries outside the US, and we're bringing this to web soon as well to make it even more accessible to folks. 
Um, and when a user downloads it, you essentially create an account, you validate your email, you get a recovery code, which you definitely got to hold on to and, and make sure you don't lose because we don't have an ability to reset your password if you lose that. Um, mm -hmm. and, and when a user logs in, you essentially can explore the map, can you know, click the top left button, explore you know, reports in your area, filter by rape, harassment, unwanted touching. And essentially, you can also filter by uh, repeat offenders. So see any of those categories or, or all of those reports and see which ones are connected to repeat offenders. But if you want to file a report, you click the top right button. It's a green plus sign. And you essentially tell us you know, what happened, whether you experienced or witnessed it, the type of incident it was, uh, where it happened, you know, when it happened, the information regarding the perpetrator. And at that point, it really gets into some of the details where we ask about the relationship to the perpetrator. And based on that relationship, if it's a stranger, you know, by default, you don't necessarily know their name. But if it's you know, a teacher or a coach, you will know their name. You can also add the entity affiliated with them, you know, add a phone number, social media links, all of those different things, even their name. It will all be used for algorithm to identify if that perpetrator is a repeat offender. And at the end of the report, you know, you can add some additional details if if there's anything that our general form missed out on. But you also have the option to either file it directly to our system and be notified if the perpetrator is a repeat offender, or you can decide to share it directly with law firms right from the report itself. And we did team up with some of the most feared law firms in the world who are willing to ruthlessly represent survivors um, and no upfront costs to them. So I'm not sure if you're super familiar with how those arrangements are typically structured, but they essentially will take on cases based on contingency. So no one ever has to pay a law firm in order to get representation. The firms, Wonderful. If, they, if they lose a case, you won't have to pay anything. If your case ends up you know, resulting in monetary damages, firms will typically take a percentage of you know, what, what is recovered. Um, so essentially, you know, these firms are incredibly expensive if, if you were to just have them represent you, you know, in and of itself. And, and we teamed up with some of the best ones in the world uh, who we know that are, are super aligned with survivors. So that's essentially the reporting process. It sounds a little bit complex, but really it can take, you know, anywhere from 20 to 90 seconds typically to file a report um, right. and to have it. And, and once you do file a report, you will get notified immediately if the perpetrator is a repeat offender. Um, oh, we'll, wow. also, we'll also let you know if, if one of those you know, connected individuals happens to share it with a law firm. And we enable the coordination of legal action such that you know, enabling survivors to pursue justice together against the same abuser, whether that's an individual or an institution. So you know, if your perpetrator is a repeat offender and one of the survivors happened to share with a law firm on our platform, we'll show you exactly how many reports connected to that perpetrator have been shared. And from the moment that you receive that initial repeat offender notification, if anyone does share in the future with a law firm, we'll notify you of that as well to help coordinate legal action. So I'm thinking back to my own case and just having that process taken care and taken care of for you. Like 
that a survivor, it's overwhelming to have to go through reporting and to go find the lawyer and figure out, you know, who will take your case, who will represent you, all of the processes that go in that because you're repeating your story over and over. And that in itself can be re-traumatizing. So having the opportunity to do this in a format that's anonymous, and then you are the one in the driver's seat making the decisions along the way is, it's so valuable. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and thank you for sharing your story here. Like I genuinely appreciate it. And I think too, that one of the important criteria is that you can start filing a report um, you know, whenever and, and come back to it and edit the details up until the point where it's shared with the law firm. At that point, it's no longer editable. Mm -hmm. um, and also we encourage folks, whether this happened today or 70 years ago or, or more in the past, you know, every report that's added to the system strengthens our algorithm's ability to identify repeat offenders. And the repeat offender algorithm itself essentially is, is able to even discern misspellings in names. So if you put you know, Bill Cosby versus Billy Cosby, you know, we're still going to be able to calculate a match based on that. Um, so there's just a lot, a lot of complexity that has gone into that algorithm over the year, over the years. And um, yeah, I, I think that it's a powerful tool, um, especially for guiding things in a survivor centric way. Yeah, I, that's the key word survivor centered. It's very survivor centered. Um, so I had questions a little bit about like the details of it. And I know it helps with like establishing a law firm and getting them connected. And I, I think that's so excellent that you guys have narrowed down the lawyers that are, you know, some of the best in the world that are fit for this. Um, because I think that's something I encountered a lot was I would call lawyers and they'd say, no, I can't take your case or like, no, I this isn't going to go anywhere. And the defeating feeling of that and then building up the strength again to do it again is, like I said before, it's exhausting. So I guess I'm wondering too, so I know with that, that sounds like it's if you're taking a civil suit route, but if someone, does this app bypass the stage of reporting to the police or how does that work? Yeah, so the ultimate vision of JADO is to provide every type of endpoint that a survivor would want or, you know, be able to share the report with if they so choose. That being said, we started with legal because we fundamentally believe that they're the most aligned with survivors and, and there's, you know, barely ever a conflict of interest in terms of, you know, that, that alignment. So it's an eth ethical alignment, you know, they by law have a duty to their clients, you know, to confidentiality. And, and in many ways, we create a digital form of lawyer-client confidentiality. You know, it exists via contract, but we create it via, you know, encryption and math. Um, but they also have a, a fiscal incentive to ruthlessly represent survivors. So, you know, rather than sharing a report with the police or with a Title IX department or corporate HR, you know, and thinking of corporate HR specifically, you know, oftentimes we found that you know, those offices are just there to mitigate risk for corporations. Mm, so yeah. you know, we, we always thought that if you're going to go to anyone first, these law firms would be the best place. And if you want to even use them as a buffer before you decide to share them with another type of endpoint, that would certainly be advised by us as well. We've also had some ideas about, I mean, one, there's the concept of, you know, do we add law enforcement as a place where these reports can be shared? 
know, we've definitely had some conversations about law enforcement thinking that this would help with their prosecution rates, similar to how it's a better case for a civil lawyer. You know, if there are repeat offenders involved, then it's just an easier case. But I think that we've also explored the possibility of using our technology for police misconduct reporting. Um, Mm -hmm. We've also, we also have an attorney out in the Minnesota area who actually three years ago successfully sued the police department and the police who were responsible for George Floyd's death for a very similar situation about three years ago. So even to some extent, the repeat offender concept applies. So it's, it's really interesting when the dynamic that we can create. So think of like a Title IX you know, perspective on campus. If the university is mishandling complaints that are shared with them and people don't trust them, they're not sending reports to them. Those who do, sometimes the school will lose them or you know, something else will happen. Um, by having JADO at a university, for example, you know, by default, students can use it already. You know, some campuses, we have over hundreds you know, of reports and have identified tons of repeat offenders. But the idea is that if we allow a Title IX office to be a place where survivors who file a report on campus can share their reports, the school no longer can, can fail survivors in any way, especially if you know, we have an immutable record of that and the reports can just as easily be shared with these law firms who, once the school does drop the ball, will certainly hold them accountable and will have proof via our platform. So it's this really interesting way an interesting dynamic that we can create with these various entities that often have an almost paradoxical conflict of interest to allow them to be transparent and to hold themselves accountable. Like in some cases, we've even seen schools with their own policies not holding themselves you know, accountable for how they handle these types of things. And frankly, there's no institution or no educational entity that is a glowing example of how yeah. they handle these types of things. I can't think of a single one to be completely yeah. honest. Sadly. And, yeah. 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 But I mean, same with police, like, you know, oftentimes pursuing police first with these types of reports, it, it doesn't really go anywhere. You know, sometimes it does, but at the end of the day, there's a lot of this interesting conflict of interest. You know, police often have high rates of domestic violence themselves, you know, in comparison to the general population. So at the end of the day, if we can have all of these different endpoints be a part of JDO, but also have the mechanisms in place and the checks and balances in place to hold them accountable, to create that transparency, et cetera, as well as educating each user on what all these paths mean and the success rates of them and, and what's ultimately best for them. Like we want each individual to be able to make a choice as to what they're going to do with their story. If you just share it with a law firm, if you don't share it with anyone, if you yeah. decide to share it with the police, like whatever they feel is right for them is, is what we want to help them to do through our platform. And it sounds like from what you described too, that it is a way, another advocacy tool, because in a situation which you said perfectly, we've heard countless times of universities not really protecting survivors. So having another advocacy platform to kind of bypass um, the school and going somewhere that is going to advocate for that survivor um, in a more efficient way. And then I hadn't even thought about the corporation part, but yeah, in a sexual harassment case, that's a great example where you could go right into something that's going to be better for advocacy than a corporation that's looking to protect more of the larger company. 
Yeah, I, I think that it's it would definitely be a bold move for a corporation to just adopt Jado, but I think it would be the right move long-term and that's becoming increasingly apparent. I mean, we've even been in conversation with entities like Lyft who are keenly interested in addressing underreporting on their platform, both passengers reporting drivers and drivers reporting passengers. Um, so, I mean, their data and, and Uber's data, I think they have something like 3,000 incidents they deal with a year. But mm-hmm. if you think of underreporting rates, you know, multiply that by 10, and that's the scope of their problem, maybe even more. Yeah. So, you know, unless they do something to address underreporting, they're not going to have insights into these issues. They're not going to have a better ability to get rid of bad actors you know, before they wreak havoc on a platform. So I think this technology really applies to a lot these days, you know, from, from almost every industry to, you know, various technology companies, dating apps are certainly, you know, one of them too. I mean, dating apps have no capacity to stop rapists from literally being on their platforms. And that's a huge problem. You know, this, the idea that someone could just easily make another Facebook account and, and be back in the ecosystem. It's, quite frankly, disgusting. Yeah. And then I would think like too, that the dating apps, some of them or all of them could have people kind of using that platform to kind of find who they're going to attack essentially as predators. And then, yeah, they don't have a way to kind of filter that or um, help build up a situation to protect people. So yeah, I, I would think that um, this is great technology for helping basically prevention, um, helping to have some form of assistance to people and to show that they're invested in protecting um, the yeah. users or employees, et cetera. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. And I think too, that one of the interesting things that we've seen, you know, we've known the theoretical statistics around repeat offenders and and what we should see. Um, But once Jado becomes ubiquitous on a college campus, like we just see that repeat offender rate continue to shoot up over time. And that's just like, really, it's surprising, but at the same time, it's not surprising because it's like what we know to be true, but it's another thing entirely to see it um, be true. And I think too that you know once Jado is is more ubiquitous in any type of localized community, it does act as a strong deterrent. I mean, if perpetrators think that there's you know a one in twenty chance or they can do this to twenty people before they have actual consequences or even the potential for consequences, they're probably going to keep doing this sort of thing. But if there's something like Jado where there's a tangible and serious consequence you know, with respect to these types of actions. You know, the hope is that it acts as a very strong deterrent and makes people question whether or not to behave like this in the first place. Yeah. So. Yeah. Because I mean, I, even just visually having a map that's showing the incidences and knowing that it's being reported um, would be a, a good deterrent. And that kind of leads me into asking, uh, what success stories have you seen with JJO? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. As you know, Jado is available you know, everywhere in the U.S. as of now and, and in many countries around the world. Um, some of the most interesting situations that we've been involved with lately have been with universities and specifically these university survivor accounts where they're really doing it in an, in an ironclad way where they're not posting perpetrators' names. You know, they're redacting names from submissions that are shared with them and shedding light on you know, the patterns of misconduct at a university, shedding light on 
you know, what fraternities are complaints mostly about or what sports teams. And a lot of them have also been starting to push Jado in addition to uplifting the voices of survivors within their own communities. So one, you know, university, for example, or college rather in Connecticut, you know, between Wesleyan and UConn and Trinity College, you know, at one of these institutions, we went from having zero reports on the campus on Jado to, I believe, over 75 now. You know, wow. 12 or more have been connected to repeat offenders and really just learning. And, and even in some cases, when folks reach out to us, you know, having conversations about, you know, how the university handled these types of things, it just becomes incredibly apparent that you know, these institutions have a playbook to undermine these types of allegations in many cases. You know, in, in some instances, it's dating back, and not just recent incidents, but dating back decades, you know, in some cases, 30 years or more. So mm-hmm. I think that we're, you know, in the future, if, if we keep an eye on some of those entities, we'll see a lot of change that's you know, starting to happen. Some of them have even been, you know, demanding that the school adopt Jado. I mean, yeah. from the ground up perspective, you know, they're already adopting it anyway. And, you know, it's, it's just another thing entirely if, if you can get the school on board to actually push this to the students. And rather than, you know, charging an institution to be a part of this, you know, to put optimal pressure on the institution, we've offered it to them for free from day one. Mm-hmm. So it's, it really is, is all about that dynamic I was talking about earlier where, you know, we have 75 reports or more on our platform at this particular institution. And we go to the school and say, hey, we have these reports here. We want your Title IX office to be an endpoint of where these reports can be shared. Yeah. If you don't want this, then the only other option is, is they're going to be shared with law firms, you know, if, if that's desired. So yeah. the school has every incentive. Like if they're genuinely smart and care about doing the right thing, you could use our technology to address underreporting. You know, you can help you know, deal with these things the right way internally before they do end up pursuing legal action. And at the end of the day, you know, we would never give them a closed system that is just internal use for their Title IX department because without, you know, the law firms involved as well, I don't mm-hmm. believe that accountability will actually happen. Like I've seen yeah. just so many institutions that have dropped the ball and, and I just frankly never underestimate how resistant institutions are to change. But, you know, if, if they're facing consequences of potential $100 million lawsuit for breaking Title IX laws, yeah. you know, that's a lot of incentive to put on an institution that, you know, frankly, is very difficult to do without you know, being able to connect dots like this. Definitely. And I think, too, and of course, we don't, none of us want these incidences to happen in the first place. And yeah. um, it's horrible. But I'm thinking how you could enforce a more safer environment for your students if they knew that this was existing at the university um, and then something that was available to them rather than just relying on the Title IX office or certain employees of the university, but knowing that the university was embracing it and taking a firmer stance too. Yeah. And, and we've even heard stories too about like Title IX officers hanging out in fraternities and being friends with brothers in fraternities. And that's just totally ridiculous and and fundamentally emphasizes the point that institutions don't always have your best interests at heart. And although they're legally obligated to, you know, provide a safe campus to their students, um, they're often doing things that are completely counterintuitive to that. So, yeah. 
Wow. And with identifying some of these repeat offenders, have um, I don't know if you guys end up getting the information because I know that reporting part of everything is anonymous, um, but have you seen stories of people getting justice where the perpetrator eventually did serve time or whatever outcome I guess that survivor wanted because we know that each one usually wants you know, it's their choice what they want to pursue. Um, but if you've seen anything like that happen. Yeah. I mean, I can't comment on specific cases, um, you know, but we've definitely heard a lot of success from the attorneys that we work with and had people reach out and thank us for, you know, what this technology is doing for them. Um, we're actively working on, on way too many of these types of cases than we frankly shouldn't be working on. Yeah. And it's it's not just about connecting survivors to, you know, to realize that their that their perpetrator is a repeat offender or connecting survivors together to pursue civil litigation. Um, really, you know, if there's an ongoing case as well, we can help to catalyze that. So maybe a survivor who, you know, could be in New York and recently learned that like you still have time if you were abused as a child up until age 50 something to pursue justice in this form via the Child Victims Act. You know, maybe you don't have too much evidence about, you know, things that could help to reinforce your claim. But if you filed a report on Jado, if you find additional connections, and if you genuinely do want to pursue that type of action, it's it's totally game changing from the standpoint of like all of this. So there's just a lot of this, you know, type of stuff going on. I think that fundamentally, you know, we'll see statute of limitations expand gradually in every state across the country. And that's why we tell people, you know, whether this happened today or way long ago, you know, 100 years ago, consider filing a report. We're we're actually even working on some functionality that will be able to provide an estimation with respect to statute of limitations in your state, like corresponding to your report. So we can tell you how much time is left before the statute of limitations runs out for you to be able to pursue legal action. And it's a pretty Um, difficult thing to do. A lot of people said it wasn't possible to do, but we're working with some brilliant now graduate law students to help us um, you know, build this type of algorithm and to implement it at scale on our platform. That's incredible. Yeah, that's really incredible. And I feel like it is so supportive to know that there's not necessarily a timeline with reporting, because I think that's a pressure that I definitely felt is Um, I was first told like, oh, you have lots of time, you have a year and a half, like you have lots of time. And then when it came down to it at the end, I was like, what's the, you know, why? Like, why is this not um, going to go further? And I was told you didn't report fast enough. So um, just knowing that at least for the civil part, which still helps people uh, have that somewhat sense of closure in some ways, having that ability to not have to do it right now if you want to put your healing first and if healing wants to be the first thing for you and you don't want to address this right away but then you've done some healing and you do decide that this is something you want to do that that's still something you can um, pursue yeah 100 percent. i think that having at least some context about like what the statute of limitations is and how much time is remaining like we've seen some cases that got down to like the days before the deadline and and ended up working out in the survivor's favor. But certainly, you know, that timeline is is always changing based on policy. So if we could just, you know, keep up to date with current policy, 
be able to calculate it on an individual basis and notify people just about what the timeline looks like. I mean, we have a timeline once the report shared with firms like about what next steps look like and trying to guide folks through that. But I definitely think that depending on what state the incident took place, like there are some states where you have over 30 years to pursue action. There's others where you have two, you know, so it's just a wide range and it's different everywhere. And having that knowledge, the moment you have a report can can help you to realize like, okay, I have more time you know, before I have to even think about this stuff. Or I really, if I want to do something, I only have a month left. Like it, it really yeah. just varies in, in all situations. But yeah. Yeah. And having the tools and letting them be empowered by that, like feeling like you know what's going on. Because I think one thing that I experienced is that uh, there's so much going on and you're just trying, you're like in survival mode, trying to stay safe, that having to also figure out all the details with that is, it feels like you need someone else to do it. So having the ability to have less of a burden for that is so promising. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm even thinking about some of my first conversations with law firms and we were trying to get them like on board with this platform. And frankly, some of those conversations were just like very offensive, you know, and and thinking of like the experience of a survivor trying to like reach out to these firms or navigate this incredibly complex and paradoxical landscape. It's honestly just a nightmare. And if we could do anything to help easily discern what path to pursue and and to help do that i think that at the end of the day that's our goal and and we've achieved our goal if if we can help with that yeah how has it been impacted by covid19 have you guys seen any differences with covid19 occurring yeah that's a good question i think for sure we've definitely seen um, a large influx in domestic violence related cases um, which is a little bit tricky for us. But I think that um, also we've started to see that folks have more time at home, have been able to think about these issues you know, more thoroughly, have, have often been starting up these university accounts. And frankly, we, we're seeing this trend where these anonymous university survivor accounts are you know, eventually going to be ubiquitous at every school in the country. And I just think it's incredibly powerful for any campus community that decides to go down this route and, and pursue this way. Um, so I think it's, it's done a few things. It's definitely, you know, we've seen the influx of domestic violence cases. We've also just seen a lot more folks um, with time on their hands to be able to dedicate to this type of advocacy. And yeah, it's, it's honestly been a black swan of the year. I can't think of any entrepreneur or social entrepreneur who doesn't feel like they've been punched in the face due to this. I mean, unless you're Jeff Bezos or something. Yes. Yeah. So I've been working remotely for some time now. Our offices have recently reopened, but you know, I'm still a little bit more conservative on going back into the office than most. I mean, we'd still have to wear a mask at our desk. So yeah, not really super inclined to go back anytime. Yeah. Very soon. understandable yeah Yeah, so I mean it sounds like you guys have been impacted similar to um, a lot of businesses and a lot of companies and I know within the app there are other resources right with that besides just the law firms it sounds like there's other things within the app to help survivors can you um, share that a little bit yeah, so we're actually launching this feature probably either today or early next week, but we're adding hundreds of different service providers 
Um, they're basically resources for survivors outside of the legal landscape, whether it's mental health professionals that they can reach out to or rape crisis centers or, or other resources of that nature, mostly for informational purposes, like we'll make it easily accessible to see like what ones, you know, are verified by us that we've added to the platform. And, you know, you can check out their information, their website, reach out to them, get that type of information. So, yeah, I mean, we're not solely focused on on working with law firms. Like we really want to open up, you know, the different resources that we work with. And and obviously we're going to have to call every single one of them and, and make sure that they're still up and running due to COVID and whatnot. I mean, we were definitely fortunate too in that we're used to working very remotely, like in a distributed way. So to some extent, having these Zoom calls constantly is, is something that we've been used to for a while. And I feel like yeah. if, I, if we owned a brick and mortar business, like that would be a different story. I feel terrible for anyone who, you know, has, has been impacted in that way. But I definitely yeah. feel fortunate that we, you know, have been kind of set up to, to deal with this in a better way than most probably. Yeah, it's yeah that you guys already had those tools. So it's good to hear that there are other services within the app so that if someone is using it, they can go in there for things um, that support them beyond just a law firm. So that's wonderful. Do you have any future projects or things that JDO is working on? Yeah, so we're every two weeks pretty much we're rolling out new versions of the app. I mean, right now our focus has been really just making this like the best experience as possible. Like one of the things that has come up a decent number of times is like, and and I've even had this in my own situation where it's like, well, what if you don't know the specific date? You know, what should you put for the time when when this incident should be reported? Because we do require at this time, you know, a, a date and and year to be input and. Really, you know, it's we got to be a little bit more flexible and meet survivors where they are. I can't think of many who do know a specific date of the incident. You know, maybe it happened 20 years ago or maybe it happened, you know, when there was some party and you were blacked out or like whatever the case may be. But we definitely want to just make this as accessible to every survivor and and what they individually experienced. So we're trying to do a lot of up upgrades along those lines, you know, in order to just smooth out some of the functionality, like more so than it already is. Definitely interested in bringing this to web as well. Basically, most most people in the US have phones and, and smartphones, but making it accessible such that you don't need to download the app or it can be accessible to folks who don't have a phone necessarily outside the US. Like mm-hmm. I think that will be game changing for for lowering the barrier to entry. So so really anything that we can do to continuously lower that barrier to entry for folks and meet survivors where they're at, as well as to level the playing field for survivors. Um, there's a lot of interesting developments that we're considering doing in the future. And some of it even involves like looking at the percentage that law firms get out of these settlements in some cases, and being able to say, well, you know, if you want to be a part of this platform, you know, law firm X, you're mm-hmm. going to have to cap your fees, you know, whatever you take minus 5%. Or 10%. And doing something like that, such that survivors can actually obtain more of their settlement coming through our platform and connecting with these law firms, as opposed to going directly to those law firms. So definitely, like as we, you know, increase in terms of, you know, entering more of a socialistic type of society, you know, we're definitely trying to just like listen and learn to what you know, the needs are of, of people and of survivors and try to do everything in our power to just 
help the world be shaped for them rather than completely against them. And then I think I mentioned too earlier the potential of us setting up like a different version of Jada or, or enabling functionality for reporting of police misconduct. Yeah. Well, there's just, that's another example where like everyone I talk to is just like, you should be doing this. And it just has the same same resonance with me in the sense that like, I feel like we're dispositioned with attack, the attorneys, you know, the repeat offender stuff. Like if anyone's going to do this sort of implementation with technology, like we're so dispositioned to do it. It's only a matter of time. Like we have to do this. There's like not even a choice at this point. So yeah. I'm, I'm really excited about the possibilities for all of that as well. Um, but it's, we have a lot going on in and of itself with what we have at this point. So we're definitely going to need to you know, continue to grow and evolve to a point where we can just handle all of this and get the perspectives we need to deal with all of these, you know, different dynamics. And it's just a lot. There's there's a lot in our future for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it sounds like you guys are positioned to go that route. And I'm just thinking how groundbreaking that can be to set up something for police misconduct, especially with the current events that are happening right now in our country and all the stories we hear in that arena too, um, similar to the injustice with sexual assault, but in another format, having that opportunity and being able to build in that direction, I think could be a wonderful thing too. Yeah, and and I definitely spent a lot of time too thinking about like if this would actually fall into our wheelhouse. And I mean, ultimately I arrived at the point that yes, it does you know, solely because there's just a vast intersection between sexual violence and race. And if we can do anything to help with that intersection, like we're, you know, it, it is just aligned with us at our core. And, and I think it's something that we should probably be pursuing as soon as possible. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, you guys are doing some amazing things. I know as soon as I found um, you guys on social social media, I was blown away that this was an option that I had never heard of. And I think that it's something everyone needs to know about because it does give some sense of hope when in a time that people feel very lost and just kind of down. So having this to be an option to them just gives them a a sense of hope. Yeah, 100% agree with you. And I think too that it, it can also be cathartic in a lot of ways just to get these experiences out in a place where you can trust it's going to be there down the road. You can trust it's never going to be revealed by anyone. There's literally no risk to reporting on our platform and you know, we're going to keep it that way. So yeah, I, it's, it's definitely to the case that we have so many people who say, I was literally thinking of the same idea. Like I was, you know, thinking of, of doing something similar and it never gets old to hear that raw passion that people have and to realize that this technology has a place in this world. Like it's going to be ubiquitous one day and it's just a matter of time. But, you know, even looking at pre, you know, me too and, and whatnot, trying to get Jado out into the world, you know, it was a vastly different conversation we were having with folks where we had to explain to them, you know, all these dynamics, we had to explain to them why this tech was needed yeah. and, it's kind of a relief that people are starting to finally get it. You know, it's, you know, I feel like yeah. we just don't have to have those, those conversations around like, why is this an issue? Like, what is the specific problem? Like, how does this, how does this address it? Like people who often come across our tech, get it from the get go. And I think yeah. that's what's special about now versus then. 
That's one less barrier to have to convince someone yeah. to be invested in. Yeah. yeah. And then it sounds like the priority now is this accessibility, making it yeah. accessible to everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So I did want to ask just to kind of end on uh, what gives you hope for the future in this arena and making progress? Yeah. So that's a really good question. So personally, I think that one, there's, there's an election coming up soon. The tides may turn, you know, the winds will be in our favor with respect to better Title IX regulations and all these things. Yes. Um, so, so there's a lot of good stuff on that front. I also think that from my like individual perspective, we've actually seen some of the biggest law firms in the world start to take on these types of cases. And they were really unique early on in that they were one of the first people in the 2008 sort of era that decided, you know what, we're no longer going to represent banks. We're going to go after them and we're going to make more money doing that. And they, that was their strategic decision you know, back in the day. And a lot of folks have followed in their footsteps, a lot of big law. So I'm, I'm really excited to you know, be collaborating with some of these firms and to really prove to all the others in big law that this is how it should be. You shouldn't just be defending people. You know, who are criminals, you should decide to also you know, represent survivors, you know, legal access that you offer to billionaires to survivors. And it's not only a benefit to society, but it's also financially in your best interest. So yeah. I'm, I'm really excited about that and what it could mean for the rest of the legal industry following in their footsteps. I genuinely believe it's going to happen. But if it does, I think that that's like a tectonic like shift that a lot of people might not really be aware of. Um, that I'm, I'm more than happy to share. So lots of good stuff moving into the future. I don't think that the Me Too movement is over by any means. I just think that there's various other movements and there's intersection between the movements and, and people are starting to realize that if we want to live in a different world, like what can we do to help create that world? And, you know, I, I think that even COVID has just given us a lot of time to reflect on like what we ultimately want and how to get there. And, and yeah. there's a lot of, a lot of good stuff, even though it's, you know, obviously very trying times as well. Yeah. I feel like it kind of made us flip on our heads, but in a way that we had to look at and see, well, maybe some things were not working. They just weren't working and people starting to see um, the humanity that we need to care about and putting that first. So um, I think you guys are definitely proponents of that, which is wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, I, I hope so. I agree. Yeah. Well, thank you so much um, for joining me today and sh sharing more about J. Doe. This has been incredibly insightful and I think it's going to be very valuable for people to hear. Yeah. Thank you so much. And if anyone wants to go to our site, it's um, jdo.io, just jdoe.io. And just thank you so much again for having me on this podcast. And it was really great chatting with you. So if you like the content in today's episode, please rate and review this episode, share it with a friend, and check us out on Instagram at Voices Not Victims, Twitter at Voices Not Victim, and consider joining the Facebook group at Voices Not Victims.
Thank you so much for tuning in today. Stay tuned because we've got some really awesome people coming on in the upcoming months, including nonprofits, survivors, and social justice groups. So please hit subscribe so you can get the latest information on all of that, and we will see you next time. <laughs>